Hello and welcome to the NHRA Insider Podcast with Brian Loans. A huge engine failure, it appears, for Erica. The smoke funneling out of the back of the car. Stanfield drives by. On this episode, John Oberhofer and Todd Smith join us, the winning crew chiefs in Funny Car from Seattle and Chase Van Zandt. And it's Trip Tatum for the first time in his career. 370 flat, 330 miles an hour. We'll be talking nitro funny cars and pro stock motorcycles, as well as wrapping up the entire Western Swing. Bobby Bodie's 074, and he blows the body off the car, going through the finish line stripe. Bobby maintains control of the automobile. This is the NHRA Insider. Number 16 is going to take out number one. He left on a, by a day and a half. Both Manson Hines bikes are out. And it is crazy town at Pro Stock Motorcycle. Hey, everybody. Brian Loans here. It's another edition of the NHRA Insider Podcast. Been a couple of races since we've had the video version of the podcast. It's been cranking on the audio because of how tight the Western Swing kind of windows are. But glad to be back on both uh, video and audio for this particular episode, which is the uh, Western Swing wrap-up after Sonoma. It's been... As it always is, a grueling, crazy three weeks. Uh, lots of great storylines played out, not only in Sonoma, but across the Western Swing. You know, in Funny Car, we see three races, we see three different winners. Uh, in Pro Stock Motorcycle, we see three races and one <laughs> one winner. Um, we see Justin Ashley kind of climb back up on top of the heap. We, it's just, there's so much to kind of look back on about this Western Swing and kind of understand how it um may have affected the rest of the season, how it may have changed teams' fortunes, for the better or the worse, as we go back over the three races. The guests on today's show will be Todd Smith and John Oberhofer. Those are the two guys that are responsible for tuning the GR Supra with the DHL logos on the side. And uh, the J.R. Todd drove to a win in Sonoma. Great victory there. We're going to talk a lot about their recovery from their early season trauma that was not self-induced. That was caused by somebody else. We're going to talk to Chase Van Zandt, who is the leading candidate for Rookie of the Year this year. Been doing a fantastic job in Pro Stock Motorcycle. And I want to talk to him about how he feels his rookie season's going, his evolution on the bike, and um, kind of how this all stacks up to what it might have been in his imagination before the season started. But to put a little bit of a, a pin, or if you will, or a point or a period at the end of Sonoma, um, it was a really, to me, the perfect way to, to end the Western Swing. It doesn't normally run in the order that it did this year, where we went Denver, Seattle, Sonoma. It's usually Denver, Sonoma, Seattle. Uh, but the schedule makers being uh, what they are, they, they made the adjustment, made the change. And I think it was positive. Um, obviously, we had great weather in all three venues, great crowds in all three venues, Sonoma, always just delivers on excitement it is an engaged crowd it is a, a crowd that screams and yells when their favorite driver wins and boos and hisses when their favorite driver loses it's the kind of great thing that i really love about that place is that the people are really truly invested in what they're watching and you know for uh for us to end there with the big crowds with the perfect weather um it really was uh, really was fitting and and I think the race itself delivered, um, whether you're you know, rooting for Gage, uh, Gage Herrera or against him at this point, the fact that he ran the table, I mean, qualifies one, wins the call out, wins the race, sweeps the swing. What what he would he say anymore at this point? You know, and, and I made the reference, the old uh, Julius Caesar reference. Um, I came, I saw, I conquered, but that's kind of what he did. You know, that's really kind of what he did. And. I don't know if, how you could be a fan of this sport and at least even if begrudgingly not respect what the Vance and Hines team is doing this year. And, you know, I know it's to the consternation of the rules makers. I know it's to the consternation of the tech department. And 
you know, in the history of NHRA, I, I do not believe there's ever been a singular, um, you know, rule change, meaning a rule change to affect a singular team or a singular rider. Um, and, you know, at this point, it, I'm not saying they're going to do it. And I don't even think they're talking about it. But at this point, it seems like that would be the only possible thing that could slow this guy down. And so far, everything they've tried hasn't worked. Um, he's still better. And I, I feel as though that goes back to two things. One, it's the motorcycle. You know, Matt Smith was very candid in the pit area during an interview in Sonoma, said pretty much anybody could do what he was doing on that bike. Um, I certainly couldn't uh, for obvious reasons. But I, I, I'm, I'm not sure I'm, I'm going to accept that as fact from Matt. I respect him immensely, respect his opinion on, on so many things. But on this one, I, I think you have a combination there that, that even he would respect. But I do understand his position as a competitor. Like, you, the last thing he wants to do is be elevating some guy that's slapping everybody around. So it makes sense that it's like, hey, like, why is everybody freaking out about this? Like, any competent rider could have done what these guys continue to do or this guy continues to do. Um, the two quickest 60 foot times in the history of pro stock motorcycle both occurred on the western swing both brought by gage herrera both 102 and change will that bike go quicker than that probably that's the scary part probably i don't think andrew hines uh, has wanted to or has even come close to tipping the full hand that is available for his team in that motorcycle why would he it's what it's going to do is it's just going to cause more problems so it is as fast as it needs to be I'm sure it can be faster, and I'm sure it will be faster um, when we move into, you know, not necessarily Topeka or Brainerd, um, but when we move into the, the the meat of the order and the countdown for pro stock motorcycles, specifically places like Maple Grove, um, places like St. Louis could be very, very sporty. Obviously, Dallas, Texas, um, and Pomona, all places that, given the right weather conditions, can really be uh, um, an excellent place to uncork stuff. Bizarre that Denver was the fastest track of the Western Swing, 337 miles an hour faster and in top speed than both Seattle and Sonoma. Kind of weird how that works out sometimes. That incredible run by Brittany, certainly a hallmark moment, I think, for her uh, this season. Has not been any wins to celebrate, but wins like the, but moments like that certainly remind us all that there is a uh, there is certainly a lot of talent on that car and certainly the ability to win races. You know, it's it's one of those things where. Uh, you could make a, you could almost write a book about every Western swing every year because of how different they are, the personalities they present, the way that the races play out. Uh, but this one really, to me, was fitting. I, I am very interested to talk to John O and Todd Smith and, and really understand the process of recovery that this team went through, uh, you know, starting immediately after Pomona. And then there's a DNQ in Vegas when it's just a, an elbows and, you know, keisters thrash to get the car there and then and then kind of getting themselves together and this systematic improvement we've watched out of the d the dhl supra has been great and i want to get the inside scoop on that so you know i could go on a monologue for 100 years i'm going to save some of that for next week's show when i have the uh, pre-race style show and tony pedregon will be back on we'll review some of the stuff over the western swing the um risers and fallers if you will seekers and floaters if you will maybe if you're uh if you're a fan of that old um 
with the fifth and the other, the old Japanese game show they used to put on TV was hilarious, and that was one of the games they used to play. So with that, without further ado, let's take a quick break, and we'll be back with John Oberhofer and Todd Smith, the men who tuned the DHLGR Super that just won Sonoma and broke a very uh, long drought for Coletta Racing, Coletta Motorsports, and NHRA Drag Racing that dated back to like 2021. All that stuff's gone. These guys are now back in the winner's circle, and we'll be right back here on the NHRA Insider. And we are back on this episode of the NHRA Insider. Welcoming on our first two guests of the show right now, I have Todd Smith and John Oberhofer, the guys responsible for tuning J.R. Todd's race-winning funny car in Sonoma. How are you guys doing? Uh, doing good this morning. Glad uh, glad to be on the show. Yeah, man, it's uh, it's great to have you guys. And, you know, it's been such an impressive thing for me to watch, and I think for all kind of knowledgeable drag racing fans to watch your team systematically bring this car back and and not even this car what was i guess a new car after all the stuff that happened in pomona talk me through a little bit of that early stage you know the pomona thing happens we talk so much about the thrash to even get the car to vegas how soon after starting to make runs on this thing did you begin to rebuild your tune-up and kind of rebuild the race winning car we saw in sonoma well it um it, it started really pretty early you know just a little before that we we had decided to get this new chassis and make some changes to the engine combination and uh as we all know you know gainesville went pretty good so oh, yeah. showing john and i some good promise in gainesville you know and then flash forward to pomona obviously with the with the crash and then the next day blowing up the backup car so bad that there really wasn't anything left of that it really was ground zero for us so we we just had to come back and, and, and rebuild and start over. So it was a major setback. But we knew from the beginning that the car and the combination had a lot of potential. We just needed to get out there and race it and go to these different places, you know, and figure out what the thing needed. So, you know, we had told ourselves in the beginning, hey, this is going to be a process. You know, the crash and the blow up yeah. just made it a lot longer one. It, I mean, it, it and to me, you know, it, it has to speak to the team and, and the – and, and the leadership of the team, too, because, you know, obviously it had to have been a pretty depressing series of events. You know, you, you, you come off of this runner-up, and then you get it really thrown into the fire. So talk to me a little bit on the team side as well. You know, the guys that you have working for you are working endless hours, and they want to see results as bad as you do. So during the period of, of getting this thing back on its feet, what did it take for you guys as far as the guys who lead the team to kind of keep the troops uh, moving in the right direction? Uh, that's that's uh, that's always a big challenge, you know, and we've been faced with employee challenges as well. You know, like we have, you know, we call it, uh, you know, when we do the bath after we win a race, you know, the guys get hosed down with sure. beer or whatever. We had four new guys that had never won a race. So one of them, it was only his, really his third race. You know, he helped <laughs> us out a little bit in, uh, in Norwalk, Sam, new guy. And then, uh, because we lost a guy the week prior. Oh God. So, and then over the winter, you know, we, we brought on a couple new guys and, and, uh, um, last year we were faced with the same challenges, you know? And, uh, so employee wise, it's been a lot, a lot of work meaning, you know, just because of all the damage that we have from Pomona and it took us a while to rebuild our parts inventory back up after that. And then it's just, getting everybody trained you know our car chris fortin you know he does a pretty good job and then we have you know a group a core group of guys that that have been around for a little while 
and you know they've had to to put more on their shoulders you know and uh um, a couple of them are flying in tonight you know because they're the ones driving driving the broke down trailer you know and now it's got to be there for a week you know hopefully we get it monday or so and uh so you know we'll see Uh, but it has been i mean the guys have been busting their butts like all year and it seems like every time we get a little bit ahead you know something happens or or what have you but last you know the swing when we went out we prepared for it like we always prepare for parts of inventory wise and and what have you and it just finally you know we used up all those parts and then now (laughs) we really need to get back here and get everything going and then now everything you know so the the one race rig got back this morning and then the other ones will be broke down it'll probably heat meet us in Topeka. Jeez Louise. You know, we had to offload parts off of it so they can tow the damn thing into Reno. Oh, God. Because you know, it's too heavy that they couldn't even tow it. You know, put it on a trailer and it's a broke axle. Okay. And then, um, so then they got to load everything back in once they fix the trailer. We got to get an axle to there from Grand Rapids, Michigan all the way to, you know, to Reno. So it's been one, you, you think it would have been like, oh, man, we're going to get off and everything. Nope. nope. That's, that's kind of how our year has been, Brian. It's just been, you know, one challenge after another, you know. and, and uh, But, you know, one thing that, that these guys do, they work hard. Yeah. Like John said, we got a core group of guys that have been here since the championship days, and they they know what we expect of them, and they <laughs> and they appreciate doing it. They just work hard. You know, John and I are hands-on crew chiefs. We're in the middle of this thing all the time, looking, working, diagnosing, you know, doing whatever it takes. And these guys follow our lead. So they just work. They work hard. And that's how we got this thing back to where it is, you know. And so is the it- challenges, this is one of those years when we keep getting challenges and all we can do is just keep rising to the occasion. Yeah, well, and listen, uh, you know, what do they say? That the best deal's made in the hottest fire. So, hey, I mean, as painful as this process is, maybe you're, maybe there's something positive on the backside of it. You guys are going to be able to take on anything at this point. Um, be hauling the thing. good is easy, right? <laughs> right? Right. Is it fair to say that Epping was a, a good turning point for you guys when we look at the, how the car came around? You made the semifinals in Epping. The car was seemingly responding to what you wanted it to do, very consistent down the racetrack. Was that one of the weekends when you guys kind of looked at each other and thought, okay, like we've we've got our feet on the ground again? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, you know, it was, it was getting enough runs under our belt in enough conditions yeah. to really know what to do when we showed up, you know, how what kind of tune-up to put in it. And so – you know, getting those rounds on race day are just crucial to filling in the run book, you know, and getting that data. So you could tell after that was like, okay, we finally got something that we can make consistent. Now we just need to make it run a little quicker, you know. And so each race, you know, Bristol, then Norwalk, it just got a little better and a little better. And, uh, you know, by the time we got to Denver, even as, as screwed up as it is and how you've got to run your car up there, we felt good about it going into race day. And so the, the the turning point, yeah, was probably the Epping race. Yeah, it makes sense. And, you know, I think as a, as a whole organization, I think when we look at, you know, the Coletta or the Coletta organization on the Western swing, this was the best three race period. Uh, not even overstating it. This is the best three race period. The whole Coletta team has had top to bottom in years. 
And it's almost like, it, to me, it's pretty interesting that seemingly everybody's getting the wind in their sails at the same time. And I know you each team is their own kind of unit, but at the same time, overall, it has to be a much more happy environment <laughs> when everybody's when everybody's so. seeing yeah, the sure. semis and finals every week, right? <laughs> yeah, for sure. It's 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 been uh, you know it's been a lot of work since yeah. the beginning of of last year. You know, a lot of changes on the dragster end down there with with Alan and and uh, and Jason yeah. and Brian. And, and uh, Ronnie Thompson, you know, those, those guys have had their hands full trying to get that program turned around. And so, uh, like you said, it's everything's kind of getting better all at once. You know, even though our programs are separate, they're in-house. And so it's good to, it's good to see the Coletta team finally getting it together after a long struggle. Yeah, it really is. And and when we look at this kind of stretch run that's coming up with Topeka, Brainerd, and, and Indy, and then we go into the countdown, where do you guys feel like your strengths lie at this point? Where do you guys feel like you can you can still find improvement? Because to me at this point, yeah, you, you, you may be hiding back there or whatever it is, seventh, eighth in the points, but it's almost irrelevant because I think the class has changed and is, is changing almost before our eyes in that, yeah, you still have you still have a handful of cars that people expect to be somewhere, but I mean Chad Green's making final rounds. Alexis is going rounds every uh, Blake Alexander's winning races. So it's it's pretty chaotic in a good way for funny cars. So when you guys look at your own program coming up, where are the places you need to get a little better and where do you think your strengths lie right now? Strength strength, I would say I like the heat. Yeah. You know, um, we can we can run good in in the in the really cool conditions and stuff like that. There's some some things we struggle with there, but strength I would say is definitely the heat. And then strength wise is I think our team, meaning you know Chris pushes the guys really hard to you know be the first ones in the staging lanes. You know after you know a round win, you know the the, the turnaround time. Sure. So we really you know we we work real hard at, at that and, and, uh, infrastructure, so to speak, you know, like with, with the parts that we use and get to know our parts and, and stuff like that. And, you know, we'll, we'll test Monday after, uh, Brainerd, you know, for, uh, before Indy. So, uh, um, we're just basically going to be finalizing all of our parts, meaning that we'll know every part in the trailer, you know, it'll have been run, and we're kind of just like right now we've been just finalizing you know the the clutch aspect of it and and everything else that we have going you know it's but strength i would definitely say the heat i like the heat yeah we're good we're good in the heat you know we're the the challenges with a new combination in good conditions is there's not that many of them yeah, you know so right. there, there's so few and far between <laughs> right. so you know if you throw something on the wall and it doesn't stick then it's like, all right, well, it might be another month before you get another shot at it. So, um, you know, like John said, we got our parts in order. This is the time of year when we really just focus in on 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 what we have and going rounds and, and winning races. You know, we'll do good here. Uh, you know, in the last part of the summer where it's hot, we're going to keep working on those cool conditions, and hopefully we can pick up the pace because we know it's going to be tough in the countdown. Like you said, there's so many good cars. I mean, we look at it every week and yeah, and we're running good and we're still eighth or ninth in the points. You know, there's just so many good cars and at any, any time there's 10 or 11 cars that could win a race. 
Oh, so, absolutely. And, and listen, as I'd argue too, I, I'd argue that I'd rather be eighth in the points at this moment coming in with a pair of semifinals, a runner-up and a runner-up and a win, than be third in the points wondering what the hell's been going on the last three weeks, right? <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> so, John, you mentioned, you know, the car chief, Chris, likes to push the guys to be first into the staging lanes. And, and I, I've always kind of wondered about this. Is that – is there a I'm not going to say psychological edge, but is there part of that? Is there is it is it a better feeling to be the guy that's towing your car past the other teams as they're working rolling in, or is it something that just gives the guys a, a sense of accomplishment? Like, hey, listen, we're the first guys up here. Good work. It's it's somewhat is, is a sense of accomplishment, but it it also is, you know, um, uh, part of the race is back in the pits. Like, if we can't get it turned around in time, or if we have issues, then we don't race. You know, so everything has to go is pretty orchestrated back in the in, in the pits as far as you know what we do on race day. And uh, it, but it is a it is a big part of it. Like if you know if you if you know you're behind and you hear the other guys start the car in the pits, yeah. you know they're already warming up and you're say five ten minutes away. It's like oh fuck, we're, we're excuse me, we're, <laughs> you're we're behind. You know, <laughs> it's you the know, internet. We got to you know, go and yeah. then you might make a mistake. But yeah. if everything orchestrated back in the pits, you know, in a smooth, you know, flowing motion, you know, and, and you have a plan, you know, and then everything goes easier, you know, back in the pits. And then, and then you got to get it back up there. And then it's like, yeah. And then if you're up there first, it's like, you know, it's like them winning around, yeah. you know, you know, your guys winning around as far as it's because it's like I said, it's like a whole nother race. And obviously, with the you know the, the amount of changes, you can make shrink to a degree, but there are still things you can do in the staging lane. So, does that also give give both of you guys a little bit of a window as well? I mean, is it is there value in when you're up there, kind of assessing the situation that tends to you know tends to change every ten minutes on one of these starting lines or one of these racetracks? Does that does that give you more ability there? Absolutely. You know, it's it's confidence for for Jono and I. You know when. <laughs> When we hear on the radio or we look up and pull and they're first ones in the lanes, you know, that's the sense of accomplishment. So, yeah. you know, we're not worrying about something that's going to hang us up, uh, you know, and that gives us more time to just think and focus on what we're doing. Because like you said, things change. They change minute by minute. And them and I are, we're making changes to the car right up until the water box, right before we start the car. You know, it gives, it gives me and, or Todd and I an opportunity to go up early yeah. And look at the track, you know, knowing that, you know, the, the guys are doing a good job and everything's taken care of back in the pit. We can go up and we can look at the track five, ten minutes earlier than maybe other people can, you know. And when we get up there and then we get to make, you know, maybe we see something, maybe we don't. You know, we have a, our track specialist, Juwan, that we rely heavily on, you know, and as long as with the TRD people. Yeah. And uh, so it, I get get to talk to him earlier. You know, it, it may mean the difference. You know, maybe we see something, maybe we don't. You know, one of the things that came up was this this particular weekend that that made it challenging. We're going to get to the oil down in a second, but I know I want to start here with. Um, Water grains. I had heard from some guys in the pits that the water grains were moving around wildly, which was causing uh, causing fits for the crew chiefs. Yeah, definitely. That one, you know, it's uh, <clears throat> Sonoma is typically very difficult for us to predict weather on an hour, you know, hour by hour basis because we're close to the ocean, but yet it's it's hot. 
and so the change of wind directions changes the water drains and and this week it was nuts i mean we were you know we have our predictors and we work hard on that and you know and that's how you set your car up you know and when you drag it up there 30 minutes later and 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 the prediction is not even in the ballpark you know you gotta like start scrambling so it was it was difficult weekend for tuners as far as water grains for sure yeah you, you predict one thing and you go up there and it's 30 less or 30 more and then it, that and as far as grains and and that could be a big difference in how you tune your car up you know either, either you don't have any power or you got way way too much so you know so yeah it was it was a little tough one yeah it was like you know we just said screw it we'll just go up there and you know, whatever compression, and we'll just worry about the blower overdrive at the class. So, you know, obviously Friday and Saturday were, were very much a one-lane drag strip up there, and, and you know, Tony and I worked at Sonoma. We work out of the top of the NASCAR booth, so we're actually above the main grandstand. We're way up in the air. We're about at the eighth mile, and yeah. I looked down when that guy left in the top dragster. I looked down and saw the most cataclysmic oil down I've ever seen. I, I've got <laughs> I don't have many as many years as you guys, but I got about twenty years into this thing, and I've seen a few oil downs in my life. It, it it like blew the torque converter up. There was a lake of transmission fluid that started at the starting line, went to about three hundred feet. We know the results of of what the runs looked like on Friday <laughs> and, and the first half of Saturday, but come Sunday. How much, if any, confidence did you guys have in the right side of that racetrack for round one? Uh, well, you know, <laughs> a lot, a lot actually, because yeah. we got talked to by Chad. Yeah, you know, Chad, <laughs> Chad and you know, Chad headed with uh, with Juwan and and all the TRD people. They they knew what NHRA did to the track overnight. You know, and and he told us, you know, don't be afraid of the right okay. lane. Yeah, it was a lot of work. You know, on their part, and and we saw the frustration that the safety fire guys were having on Friday and even Saturday. You know, which was difficult for the racers that had the right lane. Oh yeah. Um, you know, but we had confidence that eventually they would get it right. You know, it just it was so big, like you said, it was it was catastrophic. You know, we saw the pictures and went, oh boy, we're in trouble. <laughs> right. you know, we are in trouble, but. Uh, you know they do what they always do because they work hard at it you know and it just took it took some time but by sunday morning you know uh chad and Jawan and trd guys said don't don't worry about it it's as good as the other lane don't don't even let that be a factor so that's how we approached it you know when we went to the right lane in the second round that's just that's what we did we forgot about it yeah and Saturday, we were able to avoid it because we were in the in the mission too fast too tasty race and so we picked left lane, which you know, which was uh, for Q3, and then for the final of it, we also picked the left lane again. But I, I think the tide a little bit start started to turn at towards the end of yeah. Q4, so, and then overnight they they did their you know they scraped it all back down and started over basically. So then that's why Chad came up and said, you know, hey, don't don't worry about it. It'll be okay if you have to go over there. Yeah, I mean, it, it made for a hell of a show on Sunday. I mean, it really did. It was, you know, for, for fans that had a three-day ticket, I was I was super happy for them because for, for what they got to see Friday and Saturday, they're probably left a little frustrated. But, man, Sunday turned into a turned into what it should have looked like all weekend long. Yeah, well, I mean, if you look at the swing, you know, we were talking about it yesterday and, and then on the way home you know, when we're flying back home is we had great weather for all three yep. races. <laughs> and then, 
you know, Denver is usually a pretty good racetrack, and we had good weather, good conditions there, and, you know, our car did good. And then you look at Seattle. Seattle is like a 134-degree racetrack, and, yeah. <laughs> and we were treating it a lot cooler than that, you know. And then uh, Sonoma was good on race day, really good on race day. It was good on Friday, you know. And then uh, Saturday, we were just able to avoid it. You know, we didn't see, you know, because we were, you know, we had choice. So, oh, that's great. And and the last thing I want to hit you guys on, and, and this kind of goes into that team dynamic. You know, Jr. let his car do the talking last weekend, which I thought was a brilliant strategy on his behalf. He didn't he didn't buy into some BS that was that was floating around out there. Um, is he the type of guy that that does this come up in private conversation with you guys or is this he doesn't strike me as a type of guy that that either you have to say hey man just let this guy do what he's doing and do your deal <laughs> i want to know i want to know what the inside scoop is on this thing internally <laughs> well what goes on in the lounge stays in the lounge. <laughs> yeah pretty much no no jr is a quiet guy yeah you know he's a he's a, a deep thinker you know and he doesn't say a lot unless there's something to be said you know and that and that works good with john and i when we're in the lounge because we all three share the lounge together sure and so uh you know we say what we need to say when we say it and 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 it's all business for all of us you know the stuff that was floating around last weekend that's just trivial crap it's just gonna happen we put it out of our heads and move on hey listen yeah. and, and like go ahead john uh, you know, I was just going to say, I asked, you know, because they waited on us in Seattle first round. You know, we were having issues yeah. with, our, with our batteries and starters and, and uh, you know, and they waited on us, you know. And then, lo and behold, they, you know, the, the starters said they were broke and we, and we, you know, got to make a single. Obviously, we wanted to race. Yeah. And then I went over to Big Jim afterwards because he's, a, you know, I've known him for a long time. He's a great guy. He's funny. I, you know, he's really funny. He goes, man, I should have started my car when you guys were having it. <laughs> I go, well, thanks for not, <laughs> you know. And, you know, so yeah. we're all good. I mean, I talked with John, too, and, and he's, you know, just asking, you know, what, what issues they had because as far as that. But the other stuff, you know, I, did, I didn't really pay attention to it, you know. I hardly go online social media, so not stuff that we we yeah. get too worried about. Although as a driver, you know they got to deal with it. So yeah, well, yeah. absolutely. I mean, I, I had Jr. on um, after the Seattle race, and and we just talked a little bit about you know. And I told him before we talked, I said, "Listen, I'm not making this the central point of the conversation, but it's got to come up." And you know, he said, "You know, the thing if they, people ask me the one thing I hate about drag racing <laughs> and it's social media," and I said, <laughs> right. "Yeah, is that it makes that may make some sense, but." You know, hey, it, to me, in in a situation like that, it's the best, you know, you got two options. One, you start fighting fire with fire, or two, you kind of lock down and just silence everybody with performance, and that's exactly yeah. what you guys did. That's, that's our, our take on all this. You know, we're, we're, not, we're not into all of that, you know, talking and trash talking and that kind of stuff. Just go to the track and win. That, that's all you can do. That's why we're there. Well, guys, I appreciate you taking the time. I know that um, I know that it's going to be a tumultuous uh, deal getting your truck back and all the other stuff we have to do before Topeka. So, um, hey, we'll have a weekend off in December sometime. You guys can enjoy yourselves, right? Yeah, yeah I hope so. <laughs> Thanks, we're, fellas. We're so. Our wives might have something planned for us to do, so. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> see, see you in Topeka, guys. Okay. Thanks. Okay. Thanks, Brian. Bye.
When we come back, we'll have Chase Van Zant, pro stock motorcycle rider, the Trick Tools Suzuki. Stay with us. And we are back with our second guest, or technically third, because we had John O and Todd Smith on first. So we'll call this guest number three. We have Mr. Chase Van Zant, rider of the Trick Tools Suzuki pro stock motorcycle machine. How you doing, Chase? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great, man. And uh, I think I thought now was a really kind of fun time to catch up with you in the midst of uh, your rookie season. You look very good out there. Um, I want to kind of get your you know initial impressions from Gainesville to now. Is the wow factor still there for you? Like, is the wow factor of rolling out there on a Sunday and seeing all those people still still part of your program? Yeah, it is. You know, um, it's kind of funny. Uh, I was I was actually just talking to uh, Antron Brown about it in uh, Denver. Um, you know, at first in Gainesville, I was pretty um, pretty nervous. You know, rolling around the corner and, and seeing everyone and um, in the stands. I mean, that place was packed and nuts. And uh, you know, it was just one of those it, such a surreal moment for me. Um, but you know, the more you do it, it's the, the wow factor is still there for sure. But um, it it's becoming more comfortable. Yeah. Um, and uh, and I'm becoming more confident on the motorcycle too. And so, like what I told Antron is is just uh, I was like, man, it, it's crazy. But like the more comfortable and confident that I get on the motorcycle, it's almost like the harder it gets in a way. <laughs> like you know, before it was like I was so like I was so nervous and kind of uptight. It was just like when the bike started up, it was like fight or flight, and I was just like <laughs> subconsciously, you know, reacting. Yeah. And now it's like. I'm sitting up there, the bike starts and it's like, I'm fighting conscious thought, you know, I'm trying to shut my brain off because I, I you know, I'm, I'm not as nervous. So, um, in a way it's a good thing. And, uh, yeah, he, uh, he had some good advice for me. So it was, it was cool to have that conversation with him. Look, in any circumstance, Antron's one of the coolest guys in the world to talk to, especially when you get into to this. I mean, he'll talk to you about anything, but but to the degree that you just talked about, he is a fantastic guy to just chat about racing and, and chat about the approach and how to be successful. It's uh, so that's cool. I'm glad you had that chat. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, it's it's just cool to you know to hear from someone who's been so successful, and yeah. especially I mean, he's raced, you know raced pro stock motorcycles, so it's like you know he. He's uh, seen a lot of success, done a lot of good, and uh, yeah, just just nice to hear some kind of confirmation from him too. <laughs> yeah, look, and I think as you know, like in any in any sort of enterprise, when you become you get yourself kind of situated, it's like I think your I would have to guess anyway your competitive nature um, it, it becomes less about like the fight or flight thing and more about the all right now let's now let's succeed right and and maybe that conscious thought be enters your head because now your personal expectations are higher for yourself than maybe they were when you first threw the clutch out in Gainesville yeah absolutely and it's you know you start kind of um you know the way you critique yourself becomes a lot more uh, you're a lot more strict on yourself I guess I'll, I'll put it that way and uh you know before it was just like oh you made a good run and um, you know, there's maybe one or two things I can improve on. And so then the more comfortable you get, it's like, you know, it becomes a lot, it, it turns into like, okay, you aren't going to just like see something and then try and correct it. It's like something happens and you're like, why the heck did I do that? That was dumb. <laughs> you know, like, it, and then it, it becomes a bigger deal to fix it because it came with a negative, you know, like it was a negative emotion that was tied to it because you were upset that that you know that you did something the way you did on the motorcycle and so um that's where i think for me it's like i'm i'm competitive and i'm competitive with myself and um you know obviously for for the team and you know like tim tuning the bike and everything i i want to be a robot you know like i want to be the smallest variable possible and so um for me like if if something doesn't do that i'm like man what the heck am i doing like 
why can't I get this down, you know? <laughs> so, um, but it's good. It's just one of those things that kind of, I think, you know, everyone goes through. Um, sure. And uh, it's kind of part of becoming comfortable and, and confident. So, I mean, you are the, you know, you're the reaction time leader in the category um, up until uh, coming into Sonoma, you're averaging an 18 light. And so to me, it's like, that it's it's a to me that's always about composure you know i think we can your reaction times we can look at at different categories in different ways but i feel like in pro stock motorcycle it's a it's a less manipulated factor than it is in some of the other categories right i think and maybe i'm wrong um but in terms of your procedure your process is it the same spot every time or is it varying kind of your depth and staging is that is that your approach is to to be repeatable to the same depth or do you like to do you like to kind of move the bike around a little um i i try and do everything i, I mean i'm trying to be as shallow as i can yeah. every every possible time um you know it's it's one of those things where like the bike will react quicker than like i could go out there and go red you know pretty yep. consistently you know the bike <laughs> just reacts that fast um and so for me it's just like trying to go up to the starting line and and keeping everything like how I'm holding the, the lever, like what pressure I'm holding the lever with, um, keeping everything the same. And so sometimes, you know, like if you're starting uphill or closer to the tree, like in the left tire groove, um, the bike's going to, you know, it's going to be a quicker tree or a, a, a quicker reaction time. And so it's like, okay, I might have to squeeze it just a little bit harder here. If I start, you know, downhill yeah. in the right tire groove in the right lane or whatever, then it's like, you know, it's going to be a little bit, you know, the rollout just changed to be a little bit longer. So you know, I can maybe ease up on my grip pressure and it's like you, you know, it's kind of a, a science, you know, in a way it's, it's when you're up there on the starting line, it's, you, you're still reacting, but, um, there are definitely factors in how, you know, how the bike reacts and what your light is off of that. So. And it's fascinating. It really is because that the finite nature of, of this sport and the, the detail nature of this sport tends to get lost in the noise and the craziness and the speed. And, you know, it's one of the things that Tony Stewart's talked about um, when people have asked him, like, so what do you think of drag racing? And, and he always goes back to this this idea of the kind of regimented procedural perfection you have to have to actually be successful and that's not necessarily just on the mental side it's on the mechanical side and like you're talking about how hard am i holding the lever i mean stuff like that is is wild to me because you have to be so conscious of every detail while actually executing the job it's it's wild yeah absolutely and like the the tricky part like where this gets you know difficult is like I thought I we already did that part. <laughs> I thought yeah. we already did the difficult part. Okay, keep going. <laughs> like, with, like to go, I guess, even more in the depth of that, it's like, so you, you consciously are holding the lever, you get yourself set, and then it's like your reaction, you want to be subconscious. So it's this really quick, like, okay, get everything set, and then, like, shut your brain off as fast as you possibly can because really like cutting a light is an easy thing like you see a light let go of a lever like that's it that's all you have to do you know and so but where it gets really challenging is like the okay you have to know where you're at on the racetrack for one and know you know what your plan is and kind of commit to it and then just forget everything and go kind of brain dead on the starting line and that's that's a little bit of a challenge sometimes Oh, it has to be. It has to be. And, you know, uh, your crew chief, Tim Kalungian, to me, is one of the most fascinating guys in drag racing. He's a he's a philosophical guy. He's obviously a mechanical <laughs> genius. Um, talk to me about working with Tim. I mean, because he has to every now and again, maybe approach you with something. You're like, what? You know, I, he just seems like that kind of guy. Yeah, no, 
Tim is awesome. I mean, uh, I think we've we've got a really good relationship, and uh, it, it's just funny. Like we can talk. You know, I can kind of. Um, kind of poke him about like you know something on the bike like ask about clutch setup and what this does and and timing and fuel and all this and he can get into this really deep you know like way more information than i could ever comprehend um or we could be talking about you know like how your brain works like turning your subconscious brain off and he knows and like yeah he's just he's so interesting you can have a conversation about anything and um just some of the experiences he's had he's uh, a really knowledgeable dude and um I, it's a relationship that I'm, I'm really glad that we have and uh, it, it, it's really interesting just you know dealing with some of the stuff that we've gone through this year we've had some pretty unfortunate you know breaks happen and uh, and it's kind of been up and down and um, just kind of navigating through all of that with him is is been really good for me I've, I've really learned a lot from him yeah you know one of the things that that he talked about during one of Jerry Savoie's championship seasons was you know, he kind of said to Jerry, I need your brain to be where your feet are. And I thought to myself, yeah. how brilliant is that? You know, and, and obviously Jerry's got a business and he's, he's you know, working his, his tail off in six different directions. But that singular line of I need your brain and your feet to be in the same place, I thought, man, that's genius. Yeah, and, and he reminds me of that, you know, probably every race we go to, you know, whether it's so easy in drag racing, to to make say e1 and you win and you go into round two and you start to worry like okay this is who i have this is what they've been running these are their lights and all of this stuff and you get into it and he's like you you like looking into that too much you're not where your feet are like you can only control what you can control and you know you can only be in this moment like worrying about the future isn't going to do you any good worrying about what's happened in the past isn't going to do you any good He's like, this moment isn't a bad moment. Like, it's not unpleasant, so don't try and get out of it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> He's like, you're, you're doing okay right here. You're sitting down. We're talking. We're, you know, you're having a water. Like, it's not a bad moment. Don't don't try and get away. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. No, it's absolutely great. And, you know, you guys had a strong race uh, up on the mountain um, in Denver. Uh, you rode the bike very well. The bike was performing very well, qualified second. Um, you know, in your, in your so far brief tenure – Talk a little bit about that. You know, we, the bike qualifies top, typically qualifies top half. Uh, second was your best qualifying effort of the year. So when you are able to qualify a motorcycle in that number two spot versus, say, let's call it seven or eight, how does that change kind of the whole outlook for you coming into a Sunday? Um, man, well, Denver was a little bit unique because we only had, I think, 13 bikes. So, um, you know, being second, it worked out really well yes. because it was like, if I just get past first round, yep. then I've got a free ride into the semis. And, um, you know, I, every time you, you qualify, I mean, the higher you qualify, the, the easier it is to go to bed Saturday night. <laughs> like, yeah. you just know that like, okay, you know, my road might be just a little bit easier or, um, at least like we have momentum going going for us yep. you know it, it's not like we're searching for something or you know we we kind of slipped here or, you know it's just like man the motorcycle is working really well um you know and usually you can use it as confidence and um yeah qualifying second up there was just that was a really great feeling because i i had no idea what to expect up on the mountain i really kind of figured it was going to be you know hector and angie that were one and two and the rest of us kind of fighting it out you <laughs> right. know a little while behind them and um, I guess half of that was true. So, <laughs> yeah, right. 
Gage Herrera called you out during the the Pro Stock All Star Motor uh, Pro Stock Motorcycle All Star Callout Race in Sonoma. I thought it was a cool moment. I thought because of the fact that you know I look at both of you um, almost in the same vein, young, talented, driven, motivated, um, and certainly kind of masters of your craft. So was it uh, was it a grown moment for you, or was it kind of a cool moment to have uh, to have that first round with with Gage? It was a cool moment. Um, I was I was surprised honestly. I. I was standing back there and I even, I, I told some of the guys on our team, I was just like, you know, I'd be really surprised if he doesn't pick Matt or, or junior. Like I, well, the I rumor thought, was, yeah, the rumor was for a solid week that he was going to pick Matt. And then I think when Matt ran within a thousand of him in qualifying, I think that changed the plan. <laughs> that was my, my opinion only. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so it, it was kind of funny cause I wasn't even paying attention. Like when they were, when he was doing it, I was talking to Eddie um, and then I heard you say like, okay, who's your pick or something like that. And I turned around, um, really not like not engaged at all in what he was saying. <laughs> and then he was like, yeah, the two young guns. And I was like, oh, sh-. <laughs> that was actually like my, my first reaction. I was like, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, like it was funny because the week before is I was like, you know, if we were like if they did it from the bottom like started with mark as the first pick and then me as the like second pick i was like you know like if i wanted to be like you know tim called it bobby big balls like if if that's what i wanted to do like you call out gage and so i was like yeah you know i'd probably do it too and so then i was just like well this is cool like first round like i get the chance you know like there's an opportunity here to really shake things up and so um, you know, kind of after the initial, like, oh crap, it was, it was a cool moment and I was actually pretty pumped. So, yeah, listen, I, I think the whole, the whole call out deal is, is fun. And I'm glad that this year the, you know, the program expanded to include pro stock motorcycle. Um, I think it's a neat, it's a neat thing for a fans to experience. And, you know, the pro stock motorcycle category, as you have well learned this year is full of its own wonderful variety of personalities and so to kind of see those to see those showcased uh not only you know under a helmet but also on stage was was really really fun when we look at the the stretch run that's coming for pro stock motorcycle where do you feel like you your guys where do you feel like your team's going to be at their best when we are still going to have a few hot weather races and obviously by the time we get to the fall things cool off and it really becomes uh really becomes very fast but when you look at the remaining races this season, where are you most looking forward to to, to go? Um, man, I'm really, I'm really looking forward to uh, to Reading. Um, that's such a beautiful place. My first time there was last year, and uh, yes. you know, I think our team um, in the past, you know, I think you've seen um, whoever it is, Jerry or Karen or people on the bike, you know, maybe not enter the countdown in the in the prime spot, but then work their way up. Yes. And um, I mean, Tim. Tim does not shy away from saying like, yeah, when, when the countdown comes, that's when we really turn it up. And yeah. so, um, you know, it, it stinks to like, I don't want to say that, you know, we use all of these races beforehand as testing because that's not true, but you know, we definitely would, would do stuff that we wouldn't do in the countdown. Um, and so, uh, it's like, you know, you kind of just keep waiting for, you know, to, to get stuff figured out and get engine programs done. And, um, you know, really I've just kind of been looking forward to the countdown in, in a sense of like, I know, I know what Tim is capable of in the countdown itself. And, um, I'm really, really looking forward to, to just 
competing. You know, I think I think we're going to have a really good package, and uh, you know, all of those races, I'm I'm super excited about. You know, I think what's interesting is you know mechanically makes all the sense in the world, and and I get it, and 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 I think that that philosophy certainly carries through with a bunch of teams in different categories. The mental part of this is the interesting part to me too, because it's almost like you've been. In, in your own kind of mental test mode to a degree, like you said, adapting to these situations, understanding these situations. So when we get to a countdown race, as cliche as it is to say, you, by that point, I'm guessing, want to have had trained yourself to look at this like, quote unquote, any other run, even though all these runs now, of course, carry more championship weight. But if you're able to do what you've been doing all season, then that's a that's another tool in your your, your toolbox. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we've had some, uh, we've had some really interesting rounds where it's like, there, there's been a lot of pressure or, you know, something like that, like the call out with Gage. It's like, man, he called you out. Like you got to step up. You can't, you can't slip here, you know? Yeah. Um, or even, you know, like Gainesville with Angie, we had to do that motor swap, um, right before the semis and, and ran up there, you know, literally last second, um, didn't tune the clutch or have any time to dial any of that in. And, um, you know, your heart's beating like, <laughs> who knows how fast. Um, and like, I still, I went out there and I think I was 20 something on the tree. So it's like, you know, you, when I think it is going to be really handy to kind of recall that in the countdown yeah. of like, you know, I've been in fairly high pressure situations and intense rounds this year. And, um, and I've really kind of had a favorable, favorable outcome each time. And so, um, you know, no matter what the circumstance is, whether it's championship points on the line, like, I know I'm capable of it and can do it. And so I think reminding myself of that when those times come down the road is going to be pretty important. And one last question for you, Chase. You know, we, we hear some teams start to talk, well, this is a building year for us. This is a, this is a testing year for us. This is an establishing year for us. What would you claim this year to be for you? And, and yeah, you're, you're a rookie, but you don't talk like a rookie and you don't act like a rookie. So I don't even – you are a rookie on paper, and you are certainly the, the clubhouse leader for Rookie of the Year this season. But I don't feel like you think you're a rookie, do you? I I don't think so. Um, I Like, I'm, I'm out here to compete, and I want to win. And, like, I'm on a bike that can win, you know. Um, and that's ultimately how I see it. And so it, it's like I don't – if I make a mistake, I don't write it off as, like, oh, I'm a rookie or yeah. I'm new. It's like, okay, we – you know, something happened that I can learn from. And, um, Tim's been really good at kind of leading me through all of that. Um, and so, uh, like I said, I'm super thankful for that, but, um, you know, it's kind of funny, like last year at PRI, Matt Smith, uh, stopped by the trick tools booth and he was like, Hey, really excited to hear that you're, you know, doing the full season. He's like, just for your first, you know, five, six, seven races, he's like, just take each pass for what it is as a pass on the motorcycle. He's like, don't get too upset and wrapped up in, you know your results and he's like if you're in a good spot and make it into the countdown then you know maybe start worrying about it um and that meant a lot to me yeah. coming from matt you know and so that is kind of how i approached the beginning of the season and then it's like the very first race you make the semifinals, and it's like <laughs> holy crap yeah throw that <laughs> philosophy like, okay. out the window <laughs> yeah that kind of raised the expectations a little bit didn't it <laughs> so um no it's just yeah it's one of those cool deals where it's like we're i'm in a good spot and i know it and i'm i'm enjoying the ride and um, but at the end of the day, I'm a competitor and I want to be better than I was the past before and the run before that and the race before. So, um, and I think we're doing a good job of that and I'm improving more and more, you know, on the motorcycle. And so, um, 
for me, it's just, it's about being, beating myself more than anyone else. And I think that's putting me in a, in the spot that I'm in. All right. The extra last, last question. How much is your dad enjoying this, this trip you guys are on? Oh, he's loving it. Uh, he, uh, <laughs> I actually flew back home between each of the races. Uh, he and my mom, they drove the whole Western swing and got oh, to wow. see some stuff. And so, yeah, they, uh, I think they're loving it. He's liking, um, working on the bikes and, and learning. So, uh, it's, it's been, been a lot of fun. Well, Chase, thanks so much for taking the time. Look forward to seeing you when we pick back up with the Pro Stock Motorcycles this year, and uh, it's going to be a heck of a sprint to the finish line. And uh, congratulations on the the success you've had so far in this first season full-time you've had in Pro Stock Motorcycle, and can't wait to see how it shakes out for you in the end. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. It was fun. We'll be right back with some final thoughts after this on this final Western Swing episode of the NHRA Insider. And so back with some final thoughts on this episode of the NHRA Insider. Uh, Great chats. What interesting guys, interesting process, talking to uh, Jono, talking to Todd, talking to Chase Van Zandt, three very different people in drag racing with different roles, but just so cool to talk to them about the inner machinations of of how they do their jobs and and how they are arriving to the success they've achieved so far. Uh, Speaking of good news, obviously it's been a couple of rough weeks for drag strips uh, closing, facilities shutting down, um, people freaking out, maybe, you know, maybe a little bit over the top on that front, but um, we had some good news very recently in that Wild Horse Pass Motorsports Park in Phoenix uh, will not be closing after all. And so it has come under the um, manager managership, the, the leadership, you will, of the Radford Racing School, and they put out a release. I'm making this podcast on Wednesday following Sonoma. They put out a, a release yesterday that basically stated they're going to be using it for a bunch of different things, uh, conducting their driving school, but it also stated in the release that they would be allowed or they would be able to bring top-tier motorsports events to the facility. So, knock on wood, I do not know if we're going back there, but if the racetrack is open, I would surely hope, and I do truly hope, that our company uh, is able to come back and, uh, and race in Phoenix again. Nobody was, um, nobody was trying to make a sham out of saying it was the last race. Uh, there was no, you know, there was no forward path at that point in time so it's not like it was just some sort of a like a oh let's just call it the last race and we'll be back next year thing if we are able to come back and i hope that we are it'll be a really kind of glorious uh, kind of a glorious feeling to go back into that racetrack which all of us as we were collectively saying and the crowd sold out and the place is rocking all of us are saying how can we how can we be losing this venue so uh, it seems very good that we are not losing that venue and i do um fingers crossed hope that we go back there Next year, Topeka, Kansas news came out. Heartland Motorsports Park said it's going to be done, um, you know, basically following the national event uh, that is coming up and next on the schedule. NHRA then announces that Flying H Drag Strip will effectively assume that event. The new track, Flying H, um, yeah, Flying H is being built uh, in Odessa, Missouri, which is a 30-minute drive from downtown KC. Um, major metropolitan area, great market. The track is being constructed as we speak. They have been pouring the concrete walls and putting in the basic infrastructure. Uh, they'll be paving and putting the racing surface in. It is expected that the track is functional uh, by the end of the year, um, not as a national event level facility by the end of the year. That expansion will happen over the course of time, but it is expected that they will be running race cars down that drag strip uh, by the end of 2023. 
Now, there is one rumor that subsists that Heartland Motorsports Park isn't going away and that they will have a 2024 racing calendar. I have no way to substantiate that, but um, let's hope they do. I don't want to see any facility go away, no matter what size, shape, or form it takes. Uh, I do hope the place remains open. There's all kinds of stuff swirling around out there regarding you know, taxes and all kinds of other like governmental things um, that I do not have the time nor the inclination to go down the road of on this show but i do know that there has been very recently some talk of um some talk of uh of that place not going away so who knows but i do know that i think in all situations it's never as bad as you think it is and it's probably never as good as you think it is and that goes for basically everything not only in drag racing but uh but around we tell we say to ourselves all the time in the in the tv compound amongst our crew the show is never as bad as you thought it was and the best show in the world is probably not as good as you're giving it credit for either and i think that goes for the uh, entire situation with with our racetracks recently it has definitely caused a lot of people to circle the wagons which is a good thing and um i'm glad we got one back and maybe we're getting more back than that i'll leave it at that for this episode of the nhra insider i'm brian loans thanks as always for watching we're back on the video format next week again and if you're just an audio listener thanks for that too we we love you anyway we'll take you any way we can get you whether it's listening in the car or being able to throw us up on nhra.tv or one of nhra's uh, avod or fast channels where this show also airs Topeka's coming up. Get your tickets. It is being billed as, and I do believe that it is, the final running of the Menards Heartland Nationals at Heartland Motorsports Park, a facility that has history since 1989. We'll talk all about it next week. Go to NHRA.com to get your tickets today. Once again, I'm Brian Loans. Thanks for watching, and thanks for listening.